0: Welcome to worship again. So good to be here with you today. So good to be worshiping with you online. My name is Scott Blevins. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Garfield and also the Church missional director. Uh, uh, and I'm really, really, really glad to be here to kick off uh, our new series today, Love, Sex, and Marriage. Uh, Chip was going to be kicking it off today, but Chip and Terry are ill. It's not COVID, but they're still ill, and they very graciously did not want to share that with us. So I am here, and uh, we're we're launching into this series. Today, the theme of the message is uh, the meaning of marriage. Now... I have news for you. You will have to decide at the end whether this is good news or bad news. So um, uh, the reality is the folks in the back can't read my mind. That's a good thing too. Uh, So they have given me a remote control to control my own slides with. We'll find out whether this is gonna be a good plan. Uh, If it's not a good plan, it's entirely user error on my part. The folks in our tech team are incredible. So let's, uh, let's say, well, yeah, okay. I already messed it up. <laughs> that happens when I don't remember my own slides. All right, so take it back. Take it here we go. Ah, nah. So all right, before we dive into the meat of the message, again, we're using February to talk about love, sex, and marriage. Before we dive into there, I have just a couple of notes, clarifications, whatever you want to call them. Um, one is this the biblical language uh, that, that we're reading, uh, for, particularly for the message today, I'm not sure what the text we're going to be using for the next few weeks, but particularly for the message today, the biblical language is husband and wife, man and woman. Now, the reality is, and we know this, there are folks here, there are folks worshiping with us online. That are part of our church, that are visiting the church, that that are in marriages that are um, to someone of the same gender, some someone of the same sex, someone of the same orientation, um, and 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 we want to say, and I want to say, and very clearly up front, that this message is for all married folks. Um, it's for everyone, not just married folks, but it's 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 for folks in all kinds of marriages, and and this is not exclusively for any one type of marriage. It's for anyone who's married. Okay, and. And uh, uh, the second is this. That I realize there's some people here again and some people worshiping with us online that are single. You're not married at all. Some of you are, are looking forward to being married one day. Some of you single folks are saying, no, thank you forever. And and that's all right, too. Um, there have been traditions in some churches and some uh, schools of faith and traditions of faith that have really devalued singleness and elevated married life as the preferred or better or more godly way of living. And you're not really a grown up unless you're married. We're not saying that at all. We're not saying that at all. Some of the most significant people in the kingdom of God uh, that, that we have witness of in the scripture and throughout the history of the church, folks that have, have have been had a tremendous impact on the life and faith not only of their own but of other folks in the kingdom itself have been single folks. Paul, not the least of which um, is one of those folks. And so if you're single uh, and if whether you're planning to be married or never plan to be married. I really believe this series is for you too. I really believe that there's something in what God and the Bible have to say about love, sex, and marriage that that we can glean and find value and meaning in our own lives, no matter what your context is. So, so I'm offering that out there up front for everyone to hear as we get going. So now we're going to jump into. Well, we're not really going to jump into it yet, but we are going to get to that slide that I put up there too soon. A brief about kids and procreation. A lot of the teaching that I grew up with whenever marriage was talked about and taught, the 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 the, the a huge chunk of the message seemed to be about having kids, about procreating. It's not really surprising when God first created humans, he said be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth with folks, with kids, with people that are much like yourselves only different. And and uh I'm not talking about that today. I, 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 the reality is, there's tons of teaching about kids and procreation out there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the marriage relationship itself. Um, having kids is great. I'm really glad my parents had kids, you know? Uh, if not, I wouldn't have this little device in my hot little hand today. Um, and I am blessed. my wife and I are blessed with our two children, uh, but not talking about kids in procreation today. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now we're going to jump in. Let's see what I put up there next. Yeah, God gave us marriage. First thing I want to say, God gave us marriage for companionship. Let's take a look at a verse from Genesis there. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. So this is significant, and it's significant where God put this this statement, and when and where it was said, that it's not good that a man should be alone. So here's God. God and uh, the, the Genesis chapter 2 account of creation is messier than a Genesis chapter 1 account. Here God's getting his hands dirty. He got his hands down in the dirt and he, he creates man. And at this point there's no plant life on the, on the, on the, on the, in the world. There's nothing to eat. There's, it's kind of a barren lump of, of dirt we get the sense. And, and then God creates man, and then God creates the Garden of Eden. And, and because we're not English, and although some reason our Bible translations still think we are, um, we need to clarify garden. That word garden is not like your garden or my Well, my garden's dead. I, gotta, I can't grow a thing. Um, you know, it's not like the vegetable garden we had growing up, or the flower garden that, uh, you know, Claudette Cole has, uh, Anne, Anne and Claudette have at their house. It's more like an orchard. It, it's more like you know there there are all different kinds of plants. The idea of it being a garden is that it's protected, it's secure, and it has an abundance of all kinds of plant life. And we hear that we hear God saying you know there's 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 uh, trees that bear fruit, all kinds of fruit. You can eat the plants, you can eat the fruit from the trees, you can eat the nuts, all of these good kinds of things. It's there, it's there, and and. There are animals in the garden, we find out later. Well, the animals come later. God makes the animals. Um, but at this point, there are no animals. And, and, and there's an abundance of water. So there's, there's, there's safety. It's sheltered. It's a garden. It's protected by God. There's an abundance of food. There's an abundance of water. And then just a little way down the river, there's abundance of other kinds of things. There's an abundance of gold. There's an abundance of bdellium. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I, I, I suspect I'm not. Um... And that, if you don't know what that is, and I didn't either, it's a, it's a plant, that it's it's kind of, it, it produces a perfume kind of like myrrh, but it also has healing properties in it too, was used in traditional medicines. And, and then there's onyx, which is a, a precious stone used for making jewelry and carvings and, and, and other things like that. So there's, an, there's really a superabundance. Because you didn't really need gold, and you didn't really need healing and, and perfumes and incense, and you didn't really need uh, uh, onyx and jewelry at that point. But all of those things were there and present. And in addition to that, um, the man, Adam, we call him Adam. Adam is just the Hebrew word for man. Um, so if you say to someone, hey, man, you could have said that to Adam, and he would have said, how did you know my name? Um, He's there, he's not only got an abundance, he's got got a task, he's got a mission. God puts him there to, to till the land and to keep it, to care for it, to tend it. So he's got a purpose, he's got a mission, he's got a job, he's got all of the food he could ever need, he's got all of the water he could ever need, and God says, that's not enough. That's not enough. It's not good for you to be alone, he says. You need a companion, it might seem obvious to you from this scripture. It was not obvious to me because I am slow. I need a two-by-four against the head every once in a while to get things. One of the times that my wife and I were in marriage counseling together, we were seeing a wonderful woman, uh, uh, incredible. She, she practiced and lived out uh, way over in Finley, Ohio, the home of uh, Ben Roethlisberger, but we won't hold that against her. Um, and uh, uh, an African American woman who was not only tremendously insightful in terms of her psychological and relationship and understandings of relationship dynamics, but also Christian spiritual dynamics and spiritual realities. And she looked at me, I think it was, might have been the first session, maybe the first one of the, maybe the, it was an early session we had with her. She said, Scott, why did God give us marriage? And I'm saying because. I'm, I'm like Mr. Test Taker, get the right answer. I'm what's the right answer? I gotta remember all the different answers. Why do I get it? I gotta get the right answer? And she knew that I wasn't just you know going the wrong direction already. She looked at me and said, Scott, God gave us marriage for companionship. God said, It's not good for us to be alone. God wants us to be connected with another person, with another person in a deep, deep way. The first Part of the meaning of marriage is that God gives it to us as companionship. God also gave us marriage for help and partnership. Now, i got to take some time here because if you've spent any time at all in the church or you've listened to, to, you know, obnoxious televangelists on TV or the radio and you've heard them preach this passage, you've probably heard some really awful things, particularly about women. And this is one of those passages that's been used wrongly, wrongly interpreted, wrongly applied, and wrongly used for millennia now, thousands of years to subjugate women to men in social hierarchies and to justify that subjugation with spiritual, religious, you know, biblical justification. Because when we hear, uh, and the, the, the phrasing is pretty straightforward, you know, I'm gi- God, I'm giving you a woman, says, God says to the man, I'm giving you a woman as your helper. And we, in English, automatically turn that into subordinate, because that's what the helper is, is subordinate, right? The head chef has a sous chef, who is a helper to the head chef. You know, when I was doing projects, you know, my my dad had stuff that he was working on out in the garage or out in the yard, and he would say, come on, you can be my helper. There was no doubt who was in charge and who was guiding and whose who's vision and plan was directing what was going on. Um, we see that that way. But that's not how this word is used. The Hebrew word is ezer. We don't have a good English translation for it. We don't have a really good English equivalent. I'm not even sure. Not only do not we have a good English word that's equivalent to it, I'm not sure we've got a great English concept that's equivalent to it. But I can tell you this, that that word is used multiple times in the Hebrew Scripture. Everywhere it's used except here, everywhere it's used except here, that word ezer refers to God. Hear that because God is not subordinate. God is not your valet or mine. God is not a personal assistant. God is not there to carry your luggage, do your dishes, clean your house, or prop up your ego. That is not why God exists. And if this word is used every other time in relationship to God, we can be very confident that God was not telling Adam, this person's here to be your personal assistant and to prop up your ego and to take care of the house for you while you're out doing other things, right? Can we we be clear about that? In fact... I think we can go as far as to say that what God is saying in a very real sense, and someone's going to get ticked off about this. You can talk to me about it later. I'm okay with it. Um, God is a very real sense. There is the image that as God is to his people, because that's where it's always used when, when it says God will be a help to his people. God will be your helper. God promising, I will be your helper. I will help you. That that. There's very real sense that the scripture, t- scriptural testimony is that God is saying that woman is to man, that that this partner in this relationship is to the man, as God is to His people. Now that flips the narrative a little bit, I believe. There's a balance to this in Scripture. It's in the New Testament, in Ephesians, we're going to get to that a little bit later, where Paul says, as the husband is to, as Jesus Christ is to the church, so is the husband to his wife. Also been used wrongly to justify the subjugation of women and putting them in an inferior place in not only just the marriage, but in society as well. Um, It's wrong, but there's balance. There's balance there, and that's important, because in these spousal relationships, there's balance. God intends there to be balance, not one subordinate to the other. And I really think it's okay, I really think it's okay to say that that this is true both ways in the relationship, that each partner in the marriage relationship, each spouse is to be an Ezer. A help to the other. Each spouse is to be the other as Christ is to us. And we'll get into that in a little more detail later, but I want us to see the balance. And I really, really, really want us to see that, that anyone using this passage to justify placing women in an inferior position is misusing this scripture. That's not a legitimate interpretation of this passage. unless we want to put God in subordination to us as well. And if you're going to do that, don't do it while I'm around. I don't like lightning that close. All right. God gave us marriage as a help and a partnership. A help and a partnership. I want to go back to that same passage that I referred to just a little bit earlier Lord God said it is not good for the man should be alone I will make him a helper and a partner, the mutuality that's there. This is tiny. I'm going to read it to you. And God, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, Uh, the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, tree of knowledge, good and evil. That's another message entirely. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. There it divides, becomes four branches, um, where uh, the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flows to the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold in that land is good, and bdellium and onyx stone are there, and God gave us marriage. Ah, I jumped too far. More of that abundance. More of that abundance. So God says it's not good for a man to be alone. Uh, God, I'm going to give you a partner in the midst of this abundance. This is interesting to me, because so often, at least in the American mindset of, of sort of radical independence, Why do you need a partner and a helper in this environment? You got everything you need. You got all the food you need. You got all the water you need. You got all the resources you need. You got all the shelter and protection you need. It's so safe that we're told they were were able to walk around naked. They needed protection from nothing. Why do you need a partner? Why do you need a helper in that environment, in that situation? I don't know because my brain and my understanding of life is way too much shaped by notions of scarcity and threat and insecurity. But what we can say for sure out of this is that God wired us to need a partner, to need a helper. And that's true whether we are in very, very, very difficult situations or in situations of great abundance and security. It's not good for us to be alone. And we need not just a companion, but a partner. My parents I, I, are one of the greatest examples of this in my own life. They are, they are best friends to each other. My wife and I are each other's best friends. That is great for me. Um, uh, that's harder for Amy, that I'm her best friend. Um, pray for Amy, because she's got me as her best friend. And that's not easy. Um, my parents, you know, they complement each other in such amazing ways. And in a lot of ways, they have very traditional gender roles in, in their marriage. Mom does cooking. She does cleaning. She does housework. And she loves to do that. That's her thing. Um, and it's not that she's always happy while she's doing it, but, but she loves doing it. And, and Dad, Dad works outside. He takes care of vehicles. He does those kinds of things. He had a job outside the home. Um, but they never devalued each other. They really saw their marriage relationship as a partnership, and they see each other as friends. But the folks that connected with uh, Garfield Church that immediately come to mind when I think of this business of companionship and partnership and helper are, are Ann Price and Claudette Cole. Um, a married couple, there are two of our microchurch leaders, and, and they, they have such different personalities. And and Anne is very artistic and very creative. I'm sorry, Claudette. Claudette is very artistic and very creative, and she's got uh, art that she has inside. Some of it she created. Some of grand- their grandkids created. Some uh, other folks have created. And and then there's there's her gardens outside, and she's very expressive and very poetic. And and uh, and Anne is is a very sort of I don't know. Business like doesn't quite capture it, but she has a she's got a, a very clear analytical mind, um, very organized. Uh, if, if you want to get a, a quick answer about something that's happening or coming down the road, or can we do this at your house or that, you want to call Ann about those kinds of things. And, and they have such different personalities, but as a married couple, they come together as friends, as partners, and as helpers. And they, they lift each other up. And, and I have never, with as much time as I've spent with them, and I've seen them interacting with their grandkids and with other people and guests in their house, not just me but others, and, and I see such mutuality between them that they complement each other. And it's not, oh, and you're so nice, and oh, Claudette, you're so nice. It's that they, they bring different things to their marriage, their partnership, And they value, each values what the other brings, and each recognizes that that they have, they bring something to this marriage that, that I don't have, and I'm glad they bring it, and I value it. And that partnership is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. God has given us marriage as a gift for companionship, for partnership, and for help. And there's something deeper to all of that As well. There's something significant about this notion that that the word ezer, that we translate helper, is used of a human person once and every other time it's referred to God, and that human person in the context of a marriage relationship. And there's something significant about Paul saying that husbands need to be to their wives like Jesus is to the church. There is something in the marriage relationship. God is giving us an opportunity in marriage to see and proclaim God's relationship to his people. God's relationship to his people. God gave us marriage as a way of understanding, seeing, recognizing, perceiving, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I wanna, I wanna take a look at that passage from Ephesians here. Paul writes, and he's writing to the church. He's not writing a letter for a couple. He's writing to the church as a whole. Um, Be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, being subject to one another. There's that mutuality again. Subject to one another, not one group or one individual dominating the other, ruling over the other, being in charge over the other, subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for the church. There it is again. And because we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I am speaking about Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. There is something in this marriage relationship that gives us the image, a picture, an opportunity to see the relationship between God and his people, between Christ and the church. I think maybe the clearest expression of this is in a book of the Bible that very rarely gets preached in churches, and 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 when it is preached, it's often preached wrongly again to subordinate women, and that's the book of Hosea uh, in the Old Testament. And there's a reason why it rarely gets preached; it's weird. It's a weird book, and and it, it God in the Old Testament. Uh, has his prophets sometimes live things out as a message or act things out symbolically as a message. You know, the place where he'll tell one of his prophets, make this piece of pottery or buy this piece of pottery and go out and break it in front of everybody and say, this is what's going to happen to your enemies or this is what's God going to do to you or this is this current precarious state of your life and how fragile is that kind of thing. There was a plan. I'm so glad God hasn't done this with me. And you are too. There's a place, I believe it's Isaiah, where God basically has him live naked for years, you know, out in public, uh, as a message about the, God's people's vulnerability and exposure. Uh, uh, you can, and I, I said that, you know, I was very grateful that God had never asked me to do that this morning at the Heritage Service. Got the biggest amen of my uh, preaching life. And, uh, and God tells Hosea, his prophet, I've got a message for my people that they're not going to hear it if you just say it. They need to see you live it. Um, I want you to marry a prostitute. Marry a prostitute and not a retired prostitute. Uh, you're not marrying this woman and, and saving her from the sex trade. Uh, saving her from being a sex worker. She's going to keep doing that. And, and she's going to get in situations where she goes out and she, she hires herself out to people and they've paid a lot of money for her presence over an extended period of time. And I want you to go and take your money and I want you to buy her time back and bring her back home. And I want you to have kids with her, have a family with her. And she's going to keep doing this and you're going to keep loving her and you're going to keep caring for her and you're going to keep redeeming her from these folks that are buying her away from you. Because that's what I do for you people, for my people, for the people of this world. You go out and we sell ourselves to people. We sell ourselves to, to ambitions and goals. We sell ourselves for, for money, for position, for prestige, for respect, for stuff. Um, and, I, and I'm not talking about the sex work. I'm talking about how we live our lives. And when, we, when we have to have a certain job or a certain kind of house or a certain car or a certain amount of respect or a certain amount of uh, dignity that's given to us by others, we have to have a certain kind of relationship, a certain kind of family doing things, living in a certain way so that, so that we can feel safe and secure and, and, and whole and meaningful as a person. All of these are different ways that we sell ourselves to gods other than our God when we find our hope and our security and our meaning and our purpose in anything other than God. And and God says, y'all keep keep doing this to me. I gave you life. I I, I gave you hope. I gave you a promised land. I, I, I redeemed you from slavery, and you keep going after these other things for your safety and your security and your hope of prosperity, and I keep going back to you because I love you. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. We keep selling ourselves, and Jesus came, I'm going to pay once and for all the price to get my people back. And it's going to cost me my own life. And I'll be the one naked in public. I'll be the one broken in public. I'll be the one giving myself up. I'll be the one paying the price to buy all y'all back. Because I love you. And then God says, This is why I give you marriage. So that for one person, you can be that too. You can be that too for your spouse, for your marriage partner. And maybe the world will see in that relationship a tiny little picture of who I am and how I love and how I redeem, and how I forgive. There's something powerful in this gift of marriage that God has given us. And it's, it's you know, we talk we, about marriage contracts sometimes in this culture, and there have been times when there was literally a marriage contract, and some cultures still do that, and communities of faith still do that. But marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant And a covenant, the difference between a covenant and a, I think I got a slide for that, boom, there we go. Difference between a contract and a covenant, at least as God defines and uses the word covenant, is this. That in a contract, if one party breaks the contract, the other party is free from their obligations under the contract. The whole arrangement is dissolved and the relationship is dissolved. God, the way God does covenant and teaches us to do covenant is if one party breaks the covenant, the other party keeps their end. That's the way God does it. God says very explicitly, you can be unfaithful all day long, your whole lives. I will never stop being faithful to you. You can walk away from the covenant. I will never walk away from the covenant. I will always love you. I, my gosh, all I could think was the song. I'm sorry. I'm just glad, you know, I didn't try to sing it. Uh, yeah, Whitney can do it. I can't. But she's right. And God says, I know you can't, know you can't do that for everybody like I can. I know you can't. But I'm, I'm giving you this arrangement. Let's call it marriage. Marriage. Where I'm giving you the opportunity to do that and be that for one other person for one other person and we can't do that either And I think maybe that's part of the message of the good news too we can't even do it for one other person not perfectly not all the time just ask my wife at least I can't do it but but here's the thing even in that, we witness and testify to the good news of Jesus Christ because we can say, you know, this marriage, this marriage is hard sometimes. That's why we need Jesus. If we can't even do it for one other person, for our, for our relatively short periods of life, but God does it always for everyone, everywhere, forever, that's our hope. That's our hope. We dare not hope in ourselves. We dare not hope in ourselves. But God has given us this gift, this gift of marriage. I'm going to jump past this one. Marriage is a covenant relationship gifted to us by God for companionship, help, partnership and a way to live out the mystery of the good news of jesus christ both proclaiming it when when our marriages are at their best and 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 testifying to it when we fail in our marriages because we say i couldn't do it but jesus can jesus can and now my hope is in him marriage at the end of the day marriage is a gift from god and i'm almost done here i'm wrapping up um, I'm just a little bit over, but i got to wrap it up this way. Marriage is a gift from God. It's not a demand. It's not a requirement. It's not a law. It's not an obligation. It's a gift. It's something good for us because God says, I don't want you to be alone. It's not good. Even if you have everything else you need, you need a companion. You need a partner. You need help in this life. And, and, and I think for single folks, too, I think you need a companion. I think you need a partner. No person is an island. And even the islands are connected under the water, right? We need this. God gives it to us as a gift and as a way of participating and the proclamation of the good news and as a way of seeing the good news for ourselves and seeing that even when I fail, Jesus doesn't. In Jesus' name. Amen.